Cigna's 2018 U.S. Loneliness Index in a survey of 20,000 people found that nearly half of Americans report sometimes or always feeling alone or left out, with 20% reporting feeling close to people. So why are we so lonely? And what can we do about it? That's coming up on this edition of Mind Matters. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. You cannot define yourself in reference to other external coordinates. You must define yourself internally with your relationship with a higher entity. Stop it! So we've always experienced loneliness in cultures around the world. That's it's nothing new under the sun. Why is it such an epidemic problem today? I think it has to do with uh, the meta postmodern era that we're in, where we have such a um, messaging of independence that it almost takes this idea of needing somebody or needing people to be um, irrelevant, um, you know, and, and or weak. You know, weak, think, that's what I was going to say. Are we looked at as weak mm-hmm. if we need someone? I think so. Um, I think that's part of it. it. And we can say, but I think it's, it, it's, it's interesting because then on one hand, we've got the fad going through high schools right now is who's, who's your therapist? What's your disorder? Oh, you know, and that yeah. doesn't that doesn't help either. No. Uh, and then on the other end, you still got a lot of stigma around going to find resources in, in counseling. But I, I, I think uh, we also have this idea that my issue uh, is at my badge of honor. Uh, 
my issue, whether it be my mental health issue, my emotional health issue, my trauma is a badge of honor. And so why would I want to work through that? I use that as a label. I use that as, as a way to, but then we also have this, um, tribalistic mindset that, that I need to pick up. So I, I want to be seen, valued, loved, known so desperately that I'll pick up any, any mantle, any torch, whether I agree with it or not and run with it. Now it's this, we're, you know, infighting and we're taking our, our badge of honor and get somebody else's badge of honor. And we're not taking time to get to know them, uh, value them and their story. Um, and I think this, it it's the great deception. It's just the great deception that we saw in the garden, uh, just reworked. I and mean, it's yeah. nothing new. No, the lie is it's over there. And if I just get over there, then I'll be okay. Whatever I'm feeling a loss of in the moment, if I can have that, then it'll be okay. So do you think some of these things, because I know you work with a lot of teens, I work with teens and some of this stuff, I mean, several years back, it was like I was just swamped with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And today it's gender confusion, right? Mm -hmm. I want to be a different sex or I have same sex attraction and you're right. I think there's a lot of belongingness that goes along with having a disorder or, or be, you know, like I'm in this club with everybody else. that has got a mental health issue. You think that's mm-hmm. a big part of the play? Like, oh, what's the pay? What's the payoff for that? Oh, well, I think. Is it a big attention? hundred percent. Uh, yeah. And I always tell parents that uh, I don't believe in behavioral disorders. I believe that it's core longings being unmet and the kid trying to express what's going on and they don't have words or language to put to it. So wow. Yeah. Wow. we can, we can take that and extrapolate to this to that. Right. Uh, I think, um, in anything that you just stated, it is somebody, uh, I want to be seen. I want to be known. I want to be valued. I want to be loved. And I've got a core core need or core longing that's not being met. Uh, and it might be, we might have a great, great family intention family that's just overlooking something, missing something, you know, focusing too much on success or whatever that might be, uh, that just needs to slow down and go, okay, I need to see my kid for who they are and where they're at. Just mm-hmm. because they're, they have this question of, uh, who am I? And that might include some gender dysphoria doesn't mean that they're going to choose to be trans or gay or bisexual just in case, you know, or you look at, you know, um, kids that are struggling with, uh, alcohol or drugs or pornography or, you know, sexual promiscuity, or you, you just name whatever it is, anxiety, depression. It's, it's, I think a lot of times as, as a parental response, we want to fix it in the moment and, and versus we're afraid of letting it play out. But really what it needs to happen is it needs to, we need to let it play out and play out with great boundaries, with great conversations, with great, uh, safety, uh, so that, there is that truth that they bump up against along the way mm. versus, Oh no, freaking out or, Oh no, you know, affirming mm. now I've got great, you know, I've worked with great Christian kids that that is their struggle gender dysphoria. And that's going to, you know, that's going to be their just struggle probably for the rest of their life. Wow. How do they wrestle with that in the nature of the church? You know, right. and I, I always talk about this idea that the church does not do a very good job with our narratives when it comes to suicide, when it comes to anxiety or depression or gender dysphoria. Um, well, we're notorious for shooting our own wounded. Yeah, exactly. And so why, if I'm struggling with this and I grew up in a Christian home, why would I go to the church for support? We need to shift that and say, I will, I need to go to the church for support. Because they're going to be a listening ear. They're going to be truth that I bump up against. They're going to love me in the moment. Uh, and we're going to make sense of this. But that's getting better, but it's not the norm. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you, you think about all of this and it's almost like the two extremes. I mean, if you're, you're having schools uh, uh, that have clubs that celebrate some of these disorders and uh, and then you have the church that say, hey, you don't want to be talking about that disorder here. <laughs> and so it's, you know, where do you go? Right. So. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, um, late research. So I did some research on some of this, uh, suggesting that part of the problem is a lack of emotional regulation skills for for folks Mm -hmm. and people who scored high in loneliness also correlated with greater use of different maladaptive emotional regulation strategies. So things like blaming others, you know, self-blame, rumination, Mm -hmm. uh, less frequent use of reappraisal or thought framing. And the data also showed they tended to hide their feelings and suppress their emotional expression. That's what you said in your story. And Mm -hmm. those high in loneliness are, by definition, craving social connection to fill unmet interpersonal needs. Yet they often respond to negative emotions by suppressing their expression and actively avoiding social contact. And that's the worst thing they can do. So how do we practically help people connect today? And yeah, is the church missing the mark? I mean, you talked about that a little bit there, but I mean, what can the church do better? I will probably get myself in trouble, but I, that's okay. <laughs> that's I think okay. I, I, I need, I need to, I, we love I, you. <laughs> I, I think the church needs to stop worrying about flashy programs and, and, uh, light shows, you know, right. and, and celebrity speakers. Um, yeah, I think, having a worship team that draws you into the throne room of God is important. I think uh, connecting to a message that can uh, be applicable to our lives is really important, but that's an hour on a Sunday. What are we doing uh, the rest of the week to, to bring intentional connection? And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's from the beginning, you know, when I fill out a contact card, um, most place times I go to churches, I don't expect anybody to respond, but what about, responding not with an email but with a phone call what about responding mm-hmm. with hey we're glad you're here would you like to go out for lunch next week and having ambassadors in the church you know family ambassadors couples you know and male female where we can go like hey we're glad you're here next week we would love to take you out to lunch you know and, and let's let's start that process uh and it's creating those opportunities programs do matter yes i agree but like not they shouldn't be over the person and i think if we don't value the person so I'll tell you the story to kind of make, bring home this point. I went to a church, uh, uh, in Colorado Springs, uh, and one of the, the pastors, I was gone for about a, uh, six months because my dad had almost died from prostate cancer surgery. Mm. And my mom was, you know, stage four breast cancer. They're both great now. Uh, wow. But, uh, got back to church. We hadn't gone for a while. And I, this one pastor comes up, Hey, Mark, good to see you. How you doing? Oh, it's been one of the hardest years in my life. Oh, that's nice. Oh, really? And turned, and, and turned around and walked off. <sighs> if, and to me, if I, I didn't have that, you know, like, here's me now going to counselor mode, like, okay, like trying to make excuses for them that they weren't, you know, but, but they were probably so focused on what was going to, you know, the, the production of things. They were so focused on other that when they asked me the question, hi, how are you doing? They weren't willing or ready to sit there for the answer. And so I tell people every day now, if don't ask somebody how they're doing, unless you have five to 10 minutes to sit and listen, Yes. find a different, different way to ask, Hey, beautiful day today. Hope you have a great day. Hey, it's really good to see you. You know, those kind of things versus hi, how you doing? Cause our, our rote response is fine. And, and so, I, but that is so highlighted 
on a Sunday morning. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm feeling the same thing. I can remember, and I probably said this before on the show, but when I guess it was like a year or so after Mike died, maybe not even that long, I don't know. I was in a Bible study at this new church, and uh, they asked the new persons to tell their story. And I was in that Bible study for months. I told my story. Not one person ever reached out to me. I was a new person. And that hurts. And it's probably because we've not taught them what to do with something that is not normal, happy-go-lucky. Yeah. You know, and most churches don't teach health, wealth, prosperity, but that's kind of what we're teaching, right? Right. We don't know what to do with grief. Nope. Trauma, pain. So we don't know what to do, so we do nothing. And that's even worse for the survivors or for the kid like you that's, you know, dying on the vine and can't express his emotions. And that's my biggest. So that's where my ministry has shifted, right? My ministry has shifted from doing counseling to uh, coaching pastors and churches on how to do this right and how to do this well, because I'm so tired of, you know, I mean, when I was running the counseling center I founded in Colorado Springs, I would say 45% of our population coming in were people that were wounded by the church. Wow. Yeah. It's a big deal. I know I have the same thing. I've had so many people that have exactly felt that way. Mm. Um, Okay. So let's talk about this identity piece because, you know, our identity in Christ and you talk about identity in the book being a big part of loneliness. Mm -hmm. You ask the question, who am I? And I, I, I'm asking that question to people, too. Mm-hmm. Who am I and who is God? Mm-hmm. So why is that important in regard to loneliness? So if you think about it, uh, we operate out of our identity, whether we realize it or not. Right. Uh, and most people don't realize it. Right. Because they don't know how to answer the question, who am I? But uh, uh, what I ask people to do is look at if you want to know who you are, look at the fruit of your life and, and the, you know, the, the, the purpose that you're living in, in that moment. Um, because we all have, we all are operating within a purpose that's an outflowing of our identity. And if we want to change the purpose piece, we got to change how we see ourselves. And, uh, so a lot of times we see ourselves, like I said, the badge of honor, what is my diagnosis? What is my disorder? What is my trauma? And we, so then the, the way that we live is a direct a correlation to how we see ourselves. And then, then the hope piece that should go with that is not hope. It's hopeless, right? So the identity piece is, and I wrestle with this with my clients of not asking who are you as much as whose are you. And then mm. out of whose are you comes who are you or mm. should. And then out of who are you comes and whose are you comes, you know, your purpose and your purpose. Everybody's got a purpose, right? The, the number one way to reinstill hope in our world and our, the people that we work with is help them find a purpose that, yep. that flows out of who and whose they are. Uh, hopelessness cannot survive in that. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. I, I totally agree with you. And I think that's the protective factors too, when you're looking mm-hmm. for, or looking at somebody who's wanting to take their life. Right. Well, and, and here's the thing, Rita, it's so simple. It's, it's, it's simple as if you have a kid that is dealing with something at home, it's not going down and doing this deep, you know, uh, uh, philosophical conversation right now. It's going, okay, your purpose right now is y- y- you are helping me cook dinner every night when you get home from school. 
and you get to be creative. So let's look at this, you know, and that's right now your purpose, your purpose is you need to come home because the dog needs you and, and loves spending time with you. Like, and we think that we have to create this some huge philosophical, ethereal thing. No, like what's the practical piece? They need to be needed. Give them opportunity to be needed and, and figure these things out because when they're needed, they feel seen. And when they feel seen, they feel like they have a purpose. And it might be so like small things, small, but yeah, 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 exactly. So you talk about steps to healing in the book. Um, you say, acknowledge your loneliness, take ownership of changing your path and use tools to enact necessary change. Anything mm -hmm. that you want to comment more no, about I, that? I think it goes back to what we were talking about last show of just lifting up our heads. Like we mm -hmm. have to, um, this sounds really harsh, but we have to stop pitying where we're at, you know, and it might not feel like being, you know, where we are feeling, woe is me, we're, you know, most of us aren't, but in, in, when we get information that tells us differently and we choose to stay stuck, now we're choosing to stay stuck in some self pity. And so we've got to be able to utilize those tools around us to, to look up. And, and the only way it's going to change is if we make up our mind. Now, making up our mind might be a fleeting moment. Yes, I'm going to do this and I need to have somebody to help me continue, right? I get that. But I think we have to continually make up our mind every single day. I still have to with my anxiety. I still struggle with anxiety. I still struggle with bouts of depression. I still struggle with bouts of loneliness. It's not gone away. Mm. But I, I need to make up my mind every morning. How am I going to look at today? Mm. And then when situations blindside me, which they do, it's called life. I've got to look at that and go, how am, what am I going to make my mind up to do in those moments? And sometimes mm. it's, I'm five or six steps back into loneliness. And I've got to stop, go, oh, this is a familiar feeling that I don't want to continue. So what do I need to do about it? That's what I'm talking about. But we can't, the first step has to be making up our mind. Right. And we have to be aware to make up our mind. Okay. So we can do all kinds of activities to combat loneliness. You know, we can, and a lot of them are great things. We can work out, sure. we can volunteer, we join a support group, you know, whatever we do. But at some point... Don't we need to just learn to sit with ourselves mm. and be? So that's kind of juxtaposed. Yep. I mean, I think most of us, I mean, if, if I were to tell you the number one thing that I've learned or take away from all these years of sitting with folks, it's a fear of being alone. Yeah. And what the heck are we running from? Right. Yeah. I mean, you look at, um, there's three things. There's isolation, there's loneliness, and there's solitude. We want to get to a place of solitude because solitude is that reflective piece of, of whose am I, who am I, where am I at, where am I going? What is something that is uncomfortable that I need to sit with in those moments? Uh, which plays nice because that's my next book comes out in May called The Path Towards Wholeness. And it's mm. we talk about this very thing of how do we sit in the tension uh, of what is without numbing or avoiding or pushing past and it's the ability to grow depth. Uh, you know, we throw resiliency and grit around as buzzwords now. You know, it's taken the meaning in some ways out of it, but it's really truly the resiliency of, of the depth of sitting in those moments, not wishing them away. And I think the only, I, well, I, I believe this, the only way we grow is by sitting in the tension. I love, love, love that. Wow, that's awesome. That was my favorite subject in school, detention. 
<laughs> Not detention, but oh, tension. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry about no, that. No, that is that is really that's powerful. It I really, really, really like that. So, you know, what's the take? What do you really want people to get out of this book? I I, I want hope. Right. Mm-hmm. I want if people are picking it up and they're going, oh, there's a path out of loneliness. OK, it's not a two plus two equals four formula. It's not going to be the same journey for everybody. But I want people to walk away going, OK, there is hope and I have some a- actionable things that I must do. Dr. Mark's not going to fix me. Right. There's there's actionable steps that I must do to continue in the journey. And so what does that look like? Um, but I think the biggest thing is that when we realize that we're not alone in the same things of experiencing it creates that almost placebo effect that oh somebody else gets me i'm not alone even if it's dr mark writing this book and i don't even know him right mm-hmm. but or listening to this you know this radio broadcast that sometimes instills just enough hope to lift up our head just enough hope uh-huh. to make up our minds that we want something to be different uh sometimes that's all it takes mm. wow where can people get the book mark um, you can go Amazon. That's probably the easiest. You can also, uh, it's linked on my website, Dr. Mayfield, drmayfield.com. Um, yeah, be looking out for the other one. We're going to launch that in, uh, mental health month of May, 2023. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, See the yeah, title again on that, uh, Dr. Mayfield. The second book is called the path towards wholeness. Um, it'll be on Amazon and it's through nav press and Tyndale. Um, so that'll be a couple months. We're finishing up the, Stuff you know how that goes, right? Yes. I mean, yeah. So, so that are, sounds great. Are there going to be other path to uh, <laughs> uh, books? I don't know. Like, they yeah, you like a series, the, isn't uh, it? Yeah. The publishing team has taken kind of the, the reins with uh, branding those things. So we'll see what happens. Uh, yes. yeah, just, yeah, yeah. My philosophy is: if I have a message, I'll write a book. If I don't, I'm hanging up my pen. Yeah. I don't want to be don't, that author that just writes for writing's sake. Yeah, don't yeah, no. don't hang up the pen and uh, it's it's <laughs> great to talk to you today. Dr. Mark Mayfield, thanks so much for being on my matters this week. And then how how do people get in touch? Uh, the, yeah. I know you said uh, the website, yeah. Yeah, website's easiest, uh, drmayfield.com. You can follow me on uh, Instagram and Facebook, both the Dr. Mayfield uh, as the uh, title of each of those. Thank you, Dr. Mayfield, on the matter of loneliness. For a copy of Part 1 and 2, as well as other resources from Rita Schulte, go to ritaschulte.com. That's S-C-H-U-L-T-E. As well as a new feature, Think This, Not That. Take a listen. Mind Matters is a Crawford original radio program produced by Sound Century Presents. For more information, go to RitaSchulte.com, that's S-C-H-U-L-T-E. And also to get a copy of this show, you can uh, go to that website and it will be there for you. So, uh, so yes, thank you for listening. We'd like, love to know what you think, so please uh, drop Rita a line. But before we go, we want to end with a very good minute. Think this, not that. What were you thinking? That's the question people ask me when I think that, not this. That's kind of where toxic thoughts can fester. How do you train your brain to eliminate the lies you hear in your own mind? Well, you get a thought that's gnawing at your soul. You need to have a thought ready that resounds over the toxic thought because it's the thought that's tripping you up. 
So think this. Not that. (laughs) Easier said than done. So do you think that a minute a day can keep the dark thoughts away? It's a better start than the downward spiral, but it takes intentional, deliberate practice. So when I think people are out to get me? When you think that, think this. Do I have any evidence to support the belief that all people are out to get me? Think this, not that. I'm Richard Beatty with counselor and author Rita Schulte. Each week, we give you a minute exercise that can renew your mind into a different way of thinking. It's a thought process that's like a rubber band that you snap to remind you to think this, not that. Ow! Think this, not that. A feature of Mind Matters at RitaSchulte.com. For more renewable resources, go to RitaSchulte.com. That's S-C-H-U-L-T-E. Uh, Rita has a new website, and it's uh, it's really good. Uh, it's got a lot of uh, great information. Uh, you can get a copy of the podcast. You could even get on the mailing list for Rita Schulte. And uh, you can also... Buy a copy of Rita's books, uh, and uh, that that's a great, including Think This, Not That, which we're uh, doing that radio feature uh, as well. So uh, we will talk to you next week, and uh, thanks, uh, and remember that your mind matters. Dear Santa, I know you're busy, but it's time. We need businesses in Canyon City, Florence, Penrose, Cotopaxi, and Westcliff to be drop-off stations. Christmas Forgiving is in its fourth year of service. Would you please let people know we need gift wrappers and Christmas present delivery drivers on December 23rd? I'm sending this to 200 South 5th Street, Canyon City, Colorado. I know that each child who sends a letter will get a personal reply back from you. My wife wants to know, will I, as a grandpa, receive a reply? I'm 64, and I have included my phone number and address. I'm a boy, grandma's a girl, and while you're at it, could I nominate a neighbor for a Christmas dinner, gift cards, and a basket? Happy Christmas, Richard Beatty. Celebrate Christmas in a new way. Join us at Christmas Forgiving. So many ways to get involved. Every child will receive their very own stocking filled with goodies and one wrapped gift. Know a child in need? Call 719-360-9150 or send the child's name, address, age, clothes size, and interest to Christmas Forgiving at gmail.com. <laughs>